Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's episode, very special episode today. I'm so very pleased to be presenting to you a dynamic business leader, very successful entrepreneur, and a dear friend. So stay tuned for what promises to be an intriguing, inspirational, and informational uh, conversation here today. Hey, quick program note before we get started. This show is produced in partnership with our friends at Azul Arc. That's the powerhouse team that built our new sparkling, stunning website, supplychainnow.com. They're a leader in user experience design, right? Good old UX and development of websites, custom software applications, all within the supply chain industry and a lot more. So you can check them out at azularc.com. Big thanks to Zaheer and Azul Arc team. Okay. With no further ado, I get a chance to introduce for the first time, probably in, I don't know, 10 or 12 years, maybe maybe longer than that, I get a chance to introduce our special guest. So he's the author of the Smash Business book, The Fearless Frontline, which I've got my copy. We'll walk through that in a moment, maybe. He's a founder. His first business was Definity Partners, based in Cincinnati, Ohio. But since then, he's, he's founded, started numerous other businesses. He's a mentor to countless business leaders across the country. And really cool here, he serves as co-chairman for the Skills Initiative for the European American Chamber of Commerce, which is helping to address the skills gap across industry. So please join me in welcoming my dear friend, the one and only Ray Atia. Ray, how you doing? I am doing great, Scott. Thanks for having me. You bet. Well, I had to, I had to trim that intro down. There was about five volumes <laughs> that I could have added, all the stuff you've been you've been up to in your career, but uh, it's great to have you here. Enjoy catching up in recent weeks. And you always have new big news, right? I sometimes I do. Uh, and now being a father of three uh, teenage girls, I have new news every day. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Lots of market intel, it sounds. So before we get into some of what we're going to be talking about, our, our time together, as I worked for one of your organizations, and we were able to rub elbows on a regular basis and some other things, other leadership and entrepreneurial advice you're going to be offering up. Let's get to know Ray Atia. Now, I've had a chance, of course, to do that, but I want to share some of your journey with our listeners. So tell us, Ray, where did you grow up? So I grew up in central New Jersey, Piscataway, New Jersey, and some of you are uh, watching Rutgers. You'll see Rutgers Stadium there, right there in Piscataway, New Jersey. Grew up second of eight kids. My father was a teacher, mom's a homemaker. And uh, so I grew up there, went to school there, went to Rutgers for industrial engineering. And then I uh, made a trek and relocated to Cincinnati, Ohio to come work with a large uh, medical device company. So I got to go back because I've forgotten. So you have set, had seven siblings growing up. How did you fight for your snacks and, and your dinner? I mean, tell us about what it was like growing up in a big household like that. You know, it's kind of a combination. Uh, so my dad was a teacher. So you got the instruction. You got to learn how to think. It's almost like Mr. Miyagi teaching you uh, how to think. But then we have my mom, who was very much kind of that industrial engineer, system thinker, you know, how food was done, you know, laundry. And 
So it was a very efficient system. So I think I got a little bit of from both, but there was no, what, what do you guys want for dinner? It was, here's what's for dinner. Uh, and here's when it's served. And if you don't get your part, you know, too bad. Now, my mom, when she visited me, she used to bring her pots and pans uh, here to Cincinnati. So one thing you didn't worry about was running out of food because she made large portions because you ate the same thing for three days. So that was part of her inventory strategy. Right. Part of her planning. All right. Exactly. So you're talking food. I got to ask you one question before we move on to uh, talking more things, uh, work and entrepreneurialism, you name it. So what was a dish growing up that you wish you could still have once a week now? What's, what was an integral part of your culinary experiences growing up? You know, for me, it was grape leaves. So, uh, and basically it was a lot of work. So to roll the grape leaves takes a significant amount of energy and effort. Fortunately, my mom taught my wife how to make it. So now I roll them occasionally with my wife, but she does most of it. So it's probably grape leaves and maybe part of that sometimes it's combined would be uh, stuffed eggplants or squash. So it's stuffed with, uh, so you'll pick it up at any Mediterranean restaurant. I love uh, it. But, you know, probably uh, grape leaves was kind of a very special dish. You're making me hungry, really hungry. <laughs> I love the, you know, hearing about you doing that with your family now. I think, I think cooking food, making food, I think those are really special things that families do and friends do when they get together, right? Oh, yes. And uh, I've, I've learned now that I'm kind of exiting a number of businesses, uh, working on the grill a lot more. Awesome. All right. We're going to have to bring you back for those exploits. <laughs> I'm <laughs> so. not a professional. I'm working on it. So. <laughs> I can tell you, I love the uh, the one saying, you never appreciate a professional until you try an amateur. So I am the amateur on many of those cases. So I really appreciate the professionals there. Love it. All right. So I want to fast forward a little bit. So I mentioned, I think on the front end that we got to know each other because I worked for your, your first business you founded, Definity Partners. And really it was a, it was a very powerful couple of years spent learning from you and other folks on the team. And you know, we'll talk about some of that, but first for our listeners benefit for some context, tell us about what Definity Partners did in a nutshell. So in a nutshell, we're a training organization. So we would come into mostly manufacturers. Uh, it applied to others, but the majority of them were manufacturers where we would come in and basically show and model behavior of how to both improve processes, but also lead people. So unlike most organizations that are consulting, they come in and give you advice and it's up to you to implement or the other extreme of education where you sit in a classroom and learn it, but then you've got to do it. Uh, what I saw was missing was somebody who would actually come out there and actually help your team actually succeed, but overcome all the barriers. So the barriers could be process, could be people, it could be leadership, it could be strategy, and it could be technology, which is one of the reasons why I ended up acquiring a technology business. So we were a training organization and typically working with companies that are going through some sort of massive growth or transformative change. Their team knows how to maintain, but they struggle on creating something new. Right. So we were exceptional at training people how to behave in a new way. Wonderful. And uh, it's tough to do it justice in a little bit of time we've got here. But clearly, uh, your team, Defendant Partners, we worked a lot in the manufacturing space, really all kinds of uh, sectors. And, but at the core of it all, Ray, is the run, improve, grow system. And again, 
Uh, it's tough to do it justice in a short amount of time, but explain that in a, in a nutshell, what does that mean to people? Excellent. So basically imagine if your front line can run the business completely on their own without any management involvement. So that would be the vision of what Run and Prove Grow is about, of really arming your front line to have the capabilities, confidence, systems, and empowerment for them to be able to run the business on their own. What that then does is liberates uh, middle managers to work on system improvements, how to prepare for the future. And then you build a grow team that is looking for new growth opportunities, new products, new services, new markets. And what I typically see in organizations is you've got a lot of the management team in the run. Right. You know, so they're running, running, running. So basically, how do you eliminate them from being necessary in the run? And, you know, in a separate podcast, we can cover the seven sins of what causes that. But <laughs> the element of this is really empowering the front line for them to own the run of the business. Mm. So growing the business in existing markets and existing products is the run. And so building, you know, again, I'm an industrial engineer. How do you build the systems to make it, uh, make them successful? Right. And liberate the leaders, really the whole organization in many ways. But to your point, so many business leaders do spend time stuck in the run, putting fires out. And, and we can also reward that behavior, which can stymie the growth and success of an organization too. So, and you, and you hit one of the one of the seven sins, which is a flawed reward system that rewards people for being firefighters. Mm. And when they're in the run, what they're not doing is they're not focusing on being relevant. Businesses have to continuously adapt. So you've got one group who's making sure you know take Amazon. You got one group who's making sure books get done, right? And then you've got another group who's working on getting pharmaceutical. Uh, licenses so they could start selling, you know, drugs via mail. So, but if you got the same group working on the day-to-day -day books, then their ability to stay relevant slows down. Right. They're not finding new opportunities where they can compete and compete very effectively. Yeah. And, All right. and experiment. They have to experiment and try it. Some of them are going to work. Some of them are not. Right. Great point. And Amazon is a big fan of experimentation. Okay, so before we touch on again, Definity Partners, this book, The Fearless Frontline, which folks I think can see that they can also see my all my dog ears <laughs> there. This was, I think, this was your was this your first book you you wrote? Okay, yeah. So uh, it was published in 2013, my first book. Yes, and it sold out, I believe. I think you can only find it in secondary, you know, like Amazon's and stuff, used editions. And the price tag is, I've seen you tout the, the price <laughs> tag, the values. These things are expensive now, huh? Oh, yeah. So they got up to, I mean, I saw some of them that were close to $1,000. So I was telling people, don't do that. So what I did is there's a free front line. And here right here is the second edition called Run, Improve, Grow. So it's very similar book. There's actually one enhancement in this one. Uh, but this is the first edition. And this one's almost done. But the Fearless Frontline was actually a top 30 business book of the year. Probably out of all the businesses I started, it was the hardest professional project I've ever done. I bet. You know, just like for you putting on this podcast, you got to put it out there and then like, but the feedback has been awesome. You know, it was written in a way so that everybody in the company can get a copy and right. for them to have a common language. I like it. And lots of stories, lots of practical advice. That's not theoretical, proven advice and, and systems thinking that you heard Ray speak about, but Hey, y'all check that out. Don't take my word for it. Yeah. I've had the opportunity of seeing 
and and working with the brilliant person behind it. So of course I'm biased, but as as Ray said, the market has spoken and it was very well received. That and the and the follow up edition, Run Improve Grow, which of course is related to the system that Ray shared a moment ago. You know what's interesting? The uh, you mentioned proven. So if I can go through each chapter, I can literally tell you the company where that idea came from. Really? So the book itself is really working with a couple hundred companies, but taking the best out of this company, like one company had a great empowerment, one company had great technology, one company had great strategy and building it. So, you know, when you said a brilliant mind behind it, it's really yeah. many brilliant minds experimenting for 20 plus years and then saying, hey, here's what, when you put it all together, the best of the best would look like as one system. Right. It's, 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 uh, it's like a positive Frankenstein. I'm not sure we need, we got to rename that in, in a way. Or you can, or you can use kind of a positive, you know, one of these right. where you got the phone with the, you know, camera with the pager, with the email. So, so you're saying it's the, uh, the iPhone of how to succeed business books. I like that, Ray. All right. So we, this could be a 12 hour long podcast <laughs> in a heartbeat. That's what but, happens when you and I get in the same room together. That's true. I think our last catch-up call was about two hours. But we, it, I enjoy uh, what you share and your stories and what you've been up to. But, you know, Definity Partners, again, your first business that you founded. And, you know, when we worked together was in the, in the mid-2000s. And, man, what an incredible team that you assembled. In fact, just pre-show, we were talking about how, just how, beyond how talented the team you'd assembled, uh, was, but how entrepreneurial they were. And so specifically, I'd love for you to maybe speak, you know, it's the war for talent era right now, right? Every organization is dealing with it. There are very few true talent magnets that just have waiting lists of, of associates, right? So two things in particular, of course, I worked for Ed Robinson, one of your market leaders, which was a brilliant, talk about brilliant guy, get stuff done, great leader, action oriented, could walk into any operation and within a little amount of time, could could offer up a plan for taking it to another level. I mean, really just a, a very quick study. And of course, Kevin Linehan, who was on our Georgia team as well, uh, also an incredible change agent and leader as well, learned a ton from the whole organization and, and, and you, but also, you know, I worked with Ed and Kevin every day. And so it, it's amazing what, uh, how much fun we had in a couple of years, but Hey, getting back to talent and the war for, you know, competing for top talent, what would you, how did Definity approach that? How, how did, how were y'all able to assemble the team that you had? Well, great question. And Ed and, you know, Kevin are amazing. And, you know, we were talking pre call, I mean, how many people now are either, you know, entrepreneurs that were, you know, kind of alumni from Definity or presidents running companies, right. you know, Look at Ed, uh, I mean, even, you know, John D'Agostino, I mean, just the quality of the group in the town. So for me, you know, I was looking for a couple of things. You know, one is I was looking for somebody who's a teacher. What I said before is we're training. So I'm looking for somebody who wants to see their clients succeed. So I'm looking for somebody who has a natural tendency to look for. So one of the questions I used to ask people is, where did you first work and who do you stay in touch with? Mm. What I was looking for is what kind of relationships do they build with people? You know, because I made mistakes. I used to, I hired some people who had good lean backgrounds and then realized, wait a second, <laughs> that I can teach that. There's more than that piece of it. Mm. In the interviews, I used to challenge them and give them critical feedback because I wanted to see how vulnerable they would they could be. 
you know, so, you know, I would, I would question them. I would challenge because that's, you know, you've been on, you know, and you were doing the, the business development activities, you get a lot of people saying, well, I don't really believe what you guys do, or I think I can do it better. So you have to be able to understand that. Right. And I'm really looking for somebody who's able to jump in to a situation with limited information. So if you remember one of our interviewing techniques is we'd have the person actually spend anywhere from a half a day to a week. Kevin Linehan, I think, spent a week at one of our clients during his interview. Yep. But others would spend, you know, half a day or a day and we'd have them come to the client and we would put them into an area without telling them in advance and say, hey, we'll come back in a couple hours. And we were trying to assess whether how comfortable they were in working in a very ambiguous situation, but also we would come back and discuss with them and debrief, you know, first, did they make any changes, but also too, what did they learn? Right. And if they jumped to telling me about the equipment or the materials, that told me a lot about their temperament and their bias. If they tell me that Sally has been here for 22 years and she's got three kids and she's been frustrated that nobody listened to this idea. So I implemented it I'm like, all right. So it was a data point that we look for. So what I also look for is I did not want anybody who ever consulted before. So I was looking for people who came out of industry, but they were moving up in the ranks and the further up in the ranks they achieved, the further away from the work. Right. So I was offering them a hybrid, which was you get to have executive discussions, but you also get to be part of the work and you don't have to deal with all the, I'm not going to curse here, but you know, the stuff that goes on uh, in uh, politics and bigger right. companies. So I was looking for people who work for big companies, you know, that had, you know, typically, you know, engineering uh, degree, got into operation, but also was a frontline supervisor because yeah. I really believe that that frontline supervisor leads 80% of the workforce. And if you've never been in that role before, it's really hard for you to, you know, be effective on leading that person. Mm. So, you know, I, I was looking for, you know, their ability to problem solve quickly, their empathy to care about others, and their ability to be vulnerable and build a system with others and not make it about their ego. Mm. So what I heard there, it, taking my definity lens off for a second and, and, and kind of thinking about some universal learnings from what you just shared. I think number one, the DNA not falling into a certain pigeonhole trap when identifying what you're looking for in a candidate, rather than going to the skills and the tools and the degrees, you know, really looking at the DNA of their character, frankly. Uh, secondly, I think it's what, what's really important that probably a lot of folks listening right now can relate to is customizing the interview process. I don't know how many times you've heard about it, but I've certainly heard about it plenty of times where folks hate how a lot of companies interview and how oftentimes it's mailed in and it doesn't change. So really putting a lot of thought into the interview process. And then thirdly, I think maybe the root cause of it all is how you design the role. I think that's also that we've seen time and time again, how you know, whatever the last job description they had, that's what they put back out there without really engineering the role, which sounds like so critical in getting talent at Definity. Well, you, you, that great point, especially in the role piece, because one of the things that I used to ask people in the, in the interview is your title is going to be a project manager. If that's your title for the next 15 years, how do you feel about that? So making sure that there's no surprises later on, 
Okay, because I wasn't looking for people who wanted to move up in terms of because when they walked in, they had the same power as a president. But are they comfortable with that title? You know, are they comfortable with, you know, do they need to go and tell everybody that they're a vice president or something? Um, because I needed somebody who cared more about the work itself. So that right. role definition, the behavior modeling or the behavior interviews is critical. And to your point, I'm actually coaching a number of people who are looking for jobs. Many of them are just right out of college. But it's amazing how horrible that interview journey is. Companies need to look at that process and say, this is, we're losing some really, really, really good people, especially the passive candidates. But it's also knowing what you're promising. So I think that's the piece from a talent brand. You mentioned talent magnet. You know, you remember the chart we had from the 90s or the early 2000s when we talked about our CFL system, but it said, we want to become a talent magnet. And so I wrote about that in chapter nine. So it's interesting. CFL being client for life, right? Client for life, yes. And the uh, talent magnet was, we want to be a place where the best want to come because they can deliver. So our promise to people is you get to make this kind of change. You get to grow. And if you truly love teaching, you're going to have a lot of students who are going to learn with you. So that is our talent brand that we're telling people. It's not for everybody. Right. You know, if somebody, you know, wants their own ego or they want to, you know, that's not so it's being very clear with here's who we are and being comfortable with it. Therefore, we're looking for people, you know, like a Rich Carey who loved teaching. Oh, Rich, man, he was one of the smartest guys you've ever met, but one of the nicest guys you have ever met. We, We have to catch back up with Rich. Absolutely. You know, he would be, and again, he comes from a strong, strong supply chain, sales inventory and operations planning, but he's so humble. Right. I mean, look at Dave Mills, look at Dan Diagostino, look at John Harvey. You know, they all are, can be the smartest person in many rooms. Right. But they don't, they don't need to be that way because they're delivering the results. So that's the part, I think the humility and then showing dignity to folks who are on the front line that you're making them those smart ones, not yourself. Like when we do the case studies, we had them present, not us. Right. It was about their success. That is so important. And whether you're talking to front lines of the manufacturing plants or front lines at your local quick food establishment or you name it, we gotta be, we gotta, we gotta love on those folks a lot more. It it may it is fingernails on a chalkboard when I see folks chewing out their servers. That might make you know seventeen bucks on a shift, right? With tips, like I know, I know I used to make at lunch, mm-hmm. you know. So I love that. I love the dignity there, the humility. We could spend a lot more time around the Defendity culture, but um, special group of people that that did some really big things across industry. And you, the person that I would bring it all together that you need to get on this and so forth is Tara. Oh, Tara Amos. Yes, that's she right. She is the glue that kept that culture going. So if you really want to learn about our culture, all you have to do is interview her. She would be amazing because she's talking to so many companies as a quality advocate, right. customer advocate. But when I mean, she was a teacher, talk about frontline, she was a teacher. Right. We hired teachers to be part of our team because that's what I wanted us to be. That was well, maybe your father's influence a little bit, maybe. It, but I think that back to the front line, I think the teachers, you know, have a huge amount. And again, uh, we'll cover this later, but there's a difference between teaching theory and knowledge versus showing behaviors and modeling behaviors. Right. 
the anti-consultant play. I love that. Uh, you described it well. All right. So one final thing and, and listeners, this is a, this is a bit of a, you know, if you look back at our thousand or so episodes across all the different shows, uh, this one's going to stand out. This is very unique because of what, you know, Ray and I's uh, common background. So bear with us. I promise there's this conversation is going to be chock full of great best practices and insights. Let's talk about, do you remember coming down to Atlanta and Ray, you know, <laughs> it's always when, when we bring folks from out of town that maybe haven't driven the highways and byways around Atlanta, you know, it, it can be a bit crazy and, and a little bit inter- intimidating. And I missed the flight uh, coming from Macon to Atlanta. So, so you and I were, we had several meetings. I think you're with us for two or three days, We had several meetings lined up. And of course it was different parts of town. So uh, <laughs> I loved your, your, dri- your driving tips as I'm merging into traffic, right? That couple of those experiences just stick with me. <laughs> I think, I think your head was, was uh, on a swivel more than mine was. <laughs> And I could just about see the the fingernails in the armrests of the chair, but uh, it was it was uh, we had a, a great time working together and working for you. One final thing, and then I want to switch over to getting you to speak to leadership. You always, you know, if you said one, if you if you said it one time, you said it a thousand times. Whenever on the front end of those 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 days together, hey, what are your desired outcomes today? And then you just let me let me babble on. So why is that so important? Because I imagine that's you still ask that today. Why is that so important? Well, what we don't want to do is we don't want to major in the minors. Okay. What we want to really do is focus on what are those big rocks that when we look back at the end of the day, we have accomplished. And it's also important for us to be aligned. You know, one of the areas that causes conflict is that we have a different set of outcomes. You know, so for example, if we were to go meet with somebody, you know, is the outcome to have another meeting or is the outcome that at the end of that meeting, yes, we have another meeting, but that leader also is excited, is wanting to talk to another client who's gone through this process and that has shared and willing to share information. So that level of precision uh, is so important. It's no different than, you know, coach coaching my girls soccer. Okay, what's the outcome for this game? The outcome from this game is not to win the game. The outcome from this game is each of you learns how to trap the ball and pass. If we win the game, but you don't learn that, that's not a good, you know, early in the season. I need them. So having those, you know, scaffoldings of outcomes as you go through helps you, you know, stay focused, but also then allows you to put a plan together. If we don't have the same outcome, you know, what is a good day? Right. You know? That's, you know, in, in lean and others is standard. Unless we have a standard, we cannot identify the problems, nor can we analyze how the day went. Right. So I think that is just, you know, good practices you do in literally everything, you know. Right. And with that alignment, teams go on to do big things. And when they're really aligned of what we're trying to do, that's, that's when you can, you can win the World Series. Okay. So I want to switch over. I mean, we're, we're, we've been talking, you know, we've touched on leadership throughout the conversation thus far, but if you had to pick one, and, and you know, when I think of, of the core values at, at Definity, one that stuck with me that we talk about all the time or, or related note is a, a strong bias for action, right? Now we get so much lip service leadership across industry, 
across our government, unfortunately, across, across all. It's, I think it's there's a human. It's, it's part of being human, perhaps. But you know that bias for action is how we get stuff done. But you, if you had if you had one leadership piece of advice you'd like to offer our listeners, what would that be? Create experiences, not more initiatives. So when you create an experience, especially if you're trying to lead, because to me, leading means you're taking them to a new place. Okay, you're leading them through the unknown. And, you know, we give people initiatives, work on technology, work on this. So what I like to do is smash them into an experience. Okay, so that one experience allows us to win together. And you mentioned the World Series, you know, you know, one, one person told me years ago, a team cannot play together if they've never won together. Mm. Okay. So when they win together, what happens is you create confidence and you create a bond that says, okay, you know what, when I go, for example, this podcast, okay, I tend to over-prepare for these type of presentations, but you know what? Because I know it's Scott and Scott and I have won together before. And Scott is exceptional, high quality, high standards. I don't have to worry. I don't have to have that anxiety of a new podcast person who doesn't even know how to pronounce my last name. So then I end up doing more things and wasting my energy. But because we've won together, then I trust and have confidence. And so experiences is basically, you know, what leaders design to create higher standards and more developed people. Mm. What happens today, the opposite of experiences and its initiatives, go to a training class, go and learn this new technology, go and set up a measurement for, you know, improving quality. Yes, you have to do those tactics, but create an experience that allows them to go together with an outcome that they could only achieve if they did those initiatives. I love it. And, you know, Everything, all the rage is on different experiences, right? Uh, CX customer experience. We've heard that. We've we've also seen where you know supply chain plays a big role in that customer experience these days. When delivery is a hierarchy of needs, it seems like these days, right? But nevertheless, I love that. Create an experience. So let's and, and, and if ahead. you go back to your talent yeah. question, you have to really look at your talent experience. Everything from, you know, reading an Indeed or a Glassdoor review to applying for the job. But when they come in and meet with you, you know, one of the things that we used to do as part of the experience is we'd have them go and spend time at a client as part of the interview. And we had actually had the client interview them. And then the client was engaged. So it was kind of, you know, bringing people together. But when they went home and talked to their spouse about working and interviewing and leaving a big company, and coming to work for this, you know, company, they can't explain what they do, but they're not a consulting firm, but they're different. They're like, oh yeah, I visited the clients and the clients love them. Right. You know, so that was, so I think, you know, the employee experience now is becoming huge. That's right. That's right. E good old EX. Um, yes. All right. So we'll switch over. So you are, you know, that the term serial entrepreneur. Yes. That, that, that phrase is thrown, thrown around all over the place these days. However, you, Ray, are truly a serial entrepreneur. Definity was just your first business. You've had multiple startups and, and um, uh, other companies you've created since then. So based on all of that, and, and you've had multitude of successful exits too, you had the whole shebang, right? 
Uh, and spectacular bankruptcies. <laughs> right. Which is critical to your success, I imagine. Any failure, right? And if you're not failing, as it's often said, you're not getting out of your comfort zone. You're not, you're not, you're not going after the, the, the big ideas perhaps, but all that aside, let's talk. If you had a, a captive audience of say a thousand folks, whether they're young folks coming through college, whether they've been in the industry for 30 years and want to do something new. But if you had a captive audience of a thousand folks that wanted to be founders, want to be entrepreneurs, what would be one or two pieces of advice you'd give them? So good question. It's interesting because one of the things that people ask me about that, and I've told more people not to do it than to do it. Okay. So one of the advice to people who are going to do it is don't ride the roller coaster. Okay. Okay. So when you're working for a company, this is what your ride looks like. Okay. Hopefully it's upward, but it's like this. When you're an entrepreneur, it looks like this. Okay. So the and just so for our listeners, really quick, for our listeners, as Ray was using his hand, he was showing a much more dynamic experience, the high, higher highs and lower lows as an entrepreneur. Is that, is that accurate, Ray? Yes. So, so okay. for the typical worker, you're basically climbing up uh, a relatively you know, hill, but it's going up. For the entrepreneur, you're on a roller coaster. So you're going up and down, up and down. And the reason for that is the highs are higher and the lows are lower. So my advice to folks is don't get too high when things are great and don't get too low when things are not. And what happens is as a founder, you're so emotionally attached. I mean, you know this, you know, you're doing this. You are right now. <laughs> your baby, okay. It's not somebody else's child. It's yours. Okay. And, you know, in the middle of the night, when that kid is crying, you've got to get up and take care of it. Okay. And I remember, you know, first business when I was 26, marketing, I was doing the invoices, I was doing the work, I was interviewing, I was writing the newsletter. So, you know, expect to put in. So the good news for an entrepreneur is you get to make up any 80 hours you want to work. Okay. You have total flexibility. Okay. Pick any of those 80. Okay. Early on, it's going to be that. Okay. I think the other bit of advice is, you can never have a good deal with a bad person. You can never have a bad deal with a good person. Yeah, you shared that the other day on our phone call and that it might sound simple, but there's so much truth to that, Ray. So share, share a little more. What, how did you learn that? I guess. Well, that epic bankruptcy that I had uh, 20 years ago. Okay. So I invested in a company similar to what I did with the fearless factory with upside. And what I learned was the company, the product was great. It was making medical mobile vehicles. It was going into locations where people didn't have access to mammography. So I cared about the product. And it was a smaller company that needed some cash, but also some expertise. And I ended up catching a falling knife. So I caught it and and bled. But uh, what I realized was as soon as I got involved as a partner, the other owner basically started doing some pretty bad things. Mm. Okay? I really don't want to get into too many details of it, but what I realized his character was not of high integrity and he would do whatever he did to protect himself. So that company eventually went bankrupt. And sadly, uh, the bank had misspelled the word mobile. And uh, because of that, I ended up getting sued for a half million dollars because I paid the bank back for their loan that was supposed to be secured. 
Oh, wow. But there's a, there's a totally silver lining that comes out of this. Had it not been for that bankruptcy, my other partner, Kevin, in 2009, when his company was going bankrupt, would have never called me. So he called me and said, hey, you've got experience with bankruptcy. Our RAM company is going bankrupt. I think it is. We need your help. All right. So had I not had that epic failure, what was that? You know, seven, eight years earlier, upside innovations would have never occurred. And, and with that, I would say Kevin is probably one of those good people. You can never have it. Go ahead. So I think it's important for folks to know that upside innovations since that phone call, however many years ago, has just grown and gone off and done some big things, right? Absolutely. So that company, so in 2009, during the uh, epic uh, Great Recession, uh, they were making uh, ramps for wheelchairs for construction industry. So basically, construction froze, money froze. So which proceed, which uh, precipitated Kevin's giving you a call because getting through those tough times, right? Correct. So he was working on a company that made them, and we can go into a lot of detail. But he and I actually tried to buy the company. They ended up selling to somebody else. He and I started a separate company, helping pool buying power of metals together for mid-sized manufacturers. And then he started getting calls from his old customers saying, hey, the company he used to work for sold it to this other firm and they suck. Do you know anybody else to, so he said, how about we start a RAM company? And I said, so this is back to why it's so important for an entrepreneur. The idea is gonna change over time. Money is available. What you have to really look at is the quality of your team, okay? Now, that said, the number one predictor of success of an entrepreneur is timing. You have to hit the timing, the mark, you know, look at Zoom, we're on Zoom right. here. You know, you have to be at the right place at the right time. You could have a great idea, but it could be 10 years earlier. It's too early, you could be too late. So timing is probably one of the most critical ones, but if you've got a great team that can quickly, you know, adjust, adapt. But again, ideas are available. Money is available. So it's the quality of the team that allows you to have confidence to go boldly. Okay. So uh, where you started this was around riding that roller coaster. And I think what I took from what you're sharing here is be prepared, you know, on that big day, as an entrepreneur and those in, in at any point in time or first month or in the 10th year, when you have that incredible day, grain of salt, you need to take it with a grain of salt. Right. And then when you have that really bad day where you lose two contracts and you get kicked in the shins on something else or whatever, whatever it is, bad days are part of any, any journey worth having. You've got to be able to have perspective there and not jump off a cliff. Right. Ray. Correct. And I mean, I used to have, you know, contingency plans, like, okay, let's assume that we lost, you know, a couple of clients. Let's assume that we had an issue here. So part of being a good entrepreneur is, you know, preparing for that. For example, if I'm traveling to Atlanta, I got to prepare for the traffic. Right. Don't get frustrated when Scott's trying to merge, you know, and, you know, but because I didn't know the area, I'm probably more frantic than you are because you know the area. Okay. So I think uh, just for our listeners, if you've ever been to Spaghetti Junction in Atlanta, uh, you, you know how that's a, a infamous intersection of interstates and then some, and that that's where 
I got I got Ray uh, coming on to 85 <laughs> North right there in Spaghetti <laughs> Junction. But anywho, but but you're saying you gotta keep that level mind, right? Keep that and because also I think Ray, your team going back to the team you were just talking about a moment ago. You know, they are drawing their confidence and their stability and their serenity and their uh, sense of security from you. And so it's even more important. It's not just important for you. It's important for the, the whole organization, right? Yes. And I give being transparent with the risks. You know, you're not trying to put on a uh, happy face just to say, OK, everything is good. And all of a sudden one day because they can they want you they want to know that you see those risks. Okay. And again, there are going to be troubled days. You know, I remember, you know, can I pull this up here? So, you know, this is our culture book for upside. Okay. This is 10 plus years in the making, but I remember, you know, meeting with Kevin, you know, um, in two years after the company started and he's exhausted. Okay. He is, you know, billing, he is welding himself. He's shipping the product and, you know, I remember what that was like when I was, you know, 26, 27, 28. Fortunately, I didn't have a family, so I can, you know, commit to that. So that didn't surprise me. But if all of a sudden I'm like shocked by that, it's like, okay, you're going to have those days. So you always have to have kind of a good, you know, network of support. Right. That's probably an area where I didn't have when I started. So I just worked more hours than I could. But if I had a family, it would be much, much, much more difficult. So the other thing, I guess I'm going to add one more thing that I tell people, especially if you have a family, before you launch and jump off, you gotta make sure that your partner is committed with you because they're gonna ride the roller coaster with you and they have to be committed with you. If they're not, you're gonna have an extra layer of anxiety, worry, stress that is not needed. So that's really important because you and I, Scott, can handle the ambiguity, the uncertainty, and we can kind of have the confidence. But if we're causing somebody else a higher level of instability, and I always remind them, they say, well, you know, it's risky to start your own company. I said, you know what? I work for Johnson and Johnson. And in 2009, they laid off 10,000 people. Wow. I think I have a lot more stability and security (laughs) than working for a big company, you know, but it's a trade-off. Okay. So it's not one is not risky and the other one is it's a trade-off. It's different. Right. Risks. And you know, me with poker, I, you have to understand the risks. It's not that there's no risk, but there is risk. You just have to understand it. And, uh, you know, just like inventory. There's always risk. And if you don't think there's risk, it, it, check your blind spot. Cause it's there. Right. And speaking of, that's a great segue. So I'm going to, I'm going to circle back to poker towards the end of our conversation, but kind of as we're coming into home stretch, Speaking of risk, you know, you look at 2021, you look at 2020, uh, if, hey, let's go back. You look at 2019, 2020, and 2021, and what probably is going to look like 2022, because a lot of these challenges are going to persist through next year, right? There's no quick fixes for so much uh, of what we're experiencing, especially as a global supply chain. So what, what I'd like to ask you, based on all of your experiences, the various uh, ventures, um, even, you know, e- even what you learn through other crazy times, you know, when you look at, when you survey the market and you look at organizations and leaders that are not just surviving, but they're thriving in, in 2021, these types of conditions, what do you look, what do you see them doing that may be different than the other, other organizations? They're committing to their people. So they're putting people first over even customers, you know, so Right now, 
what's holding back company growth in most cases is people, not opportunities. You know, I mean, just the, we, we're interacting every day now with restaurants or service providers and they've got signs, you know, uh, everybody's slow, be patient or something. Right. And I saw a nicer, a uh, uh, good one the other day says, you know, everybody's slow on hiring. Please be patient. If you're not patient, please accept an application. <laughs> but the reality is, is when I was writing my book in chapter nine, and I talked about being a talent magnet. And this was, you know, during the Great Recession. And I remember people telling me, Ray, you're crazy. Nobody needs people. They need sales. Really? Yes. And back then, that's what they needed for the short term. Right. And I said, just watch. And I said, I was predicting 2015. I said, so I was writing this in 2009. So I said, by 2015, it's going to switch. And what's happening is take supply chain right now suppliers have the power you know if you if you're making chips if you're making you know metal you know if you're making anything you have the power to dictate the price and the terms would you is that what you're seeing yeah if you yeah. have ship if you have a ship to bring shipping containers they've gone from what 2000 to 20000 right where we're seeing a shift now is we're seeing a shift when it comes to people the employees now are in the driver's seat. Right. Okay. And it's not work from home. It's really, you know, what kind of leader do I have? What kind of job growth? What kind of opportunities do I have? And, you know, companies no longer care about, okay, you're only at the last somebody six months. They want people. So the best leaders are using this to separate themselves with the other folks who said those words, but didn't have the culture to support it. So they're doubling down. And they are making their employees number one. You know, so last year during COVID, that's what we did at Upside. I mean, we were making that like a priority, checking in with how people are feeling, how how's their you know families at home feeling about them working and so forth. Right. So we took that, and you know, we were very, very, very you know fortunate, but we're also did. I mean, we had safety protocols, and we had safety not just before COVID. You know, our safety, we went, I mean, I remember how many uh, thousand and sixty nine days in a aluminum shop, you know, with welders, right? We had a lost time. So we, we always made our employees number one. So what they're doing now is they're committing to that. They're building on their strength because they also know now, you know, you're going to see some major inflation issues going on. Okay. You know, what, what did the uh, social securities report a 5.9% increase in uh, COLA? Well, I'm not sure about that, Ray, but what I'm reading now is that the Thanksgiving dinner that folks are either enjoying now or soon to be enjoying will be the most, should be, is projected to be the most expensive one on record. Yes. For money. Yes. Right. Right. Yes. So I think that, um, yeah. So, and one of the ones that's going to loom for many years, probably for the next decade is energy costs. Mm. Okay. So we're seeing it now. Uh, occurring, you know, in Asia, we're seeing it big time in Europe. So, you know, you're going to see inflation. Uh, you're going to see many other issues. But when it comes to people, most companies, people are the limiter to growth, not market opportunities. Mm. So invest in the team, invest in the team, provide opportunities for your people, take care of your people. And, and put them in the right role. So you, it's interesting you mentioned role definition. Excellent. Okay. 
because this is sometimes what causes a toxic organization is you don't create the right employee experience, not just the hiring, but when they're on board and you put people and you, you put them, you pit them against each other. Right. You create an environment where it's easier and, and you're incentivized to blame somebody else or to demean somebody else. So this is an opportunity to step back and say, let's take a reset and assume that we have a long way to go. Right. The bad leaders are doing is they're doing an employee survey and they're like, hey, employees are happy. Well, you know why they're happy? Because they're not coming to the office. They're happy because they don't have to see you guys. Okay. <laughs> so let's let's not confuse happiness with engagement. Right. Okay. You know, I can be happy and have, you know, a meal that filled me up, but it doesn't mean that I'm a loyal person who's going to send people your way. So, but I think that the best leaders are thriving. And it's interesting because in 2019, Tara and I actually put on at the end of the year. I said, I think 2020 is going to be a crazy year. Okay. So in 2019, now I had no concept of COVID. I'm not going to predict that, but I believe that with all the things that were happening, global supply chain, trade wars, politics, the the election, Europe, Brexit, I'm like, 2020 is going to be a really turbulent year. So what I said is, how do we thrive in a turbulent environment? So this is also the time for us to create a grow team of those talented people on our team who can disrupt our current business. And not just focus on getting today's work done. You're not looking for innovational opportunities, experiment, experimental opportunities, market opportunities. People like you, again, your, your strength. Again, I remember many of our conversations when you were with us, you had a lot of disruptive ideas. Okay. And despite the culture we had, we also had people who were like, you know what, Scott, we don't really don't need this. We're doing fine. Okay. <laughs> I know. I know okay. Right. <laughs> so, so the people like you need a place because you're the proactive improver. Okay. And you're breaking what's not broken. But if you don't give people like you an environment, then they're going to have a podcast like you somewhere else. Right. Okay. So why not create a grow team within your organization, nurture them, and then protect them from the existing business? Because Machiavelli had a really good quote 500 years ago, not a great guy, but a good quote. And he says, those who are going to drive transformational change are going to have lukewarm supporters because their supporters don't know what they're going to benefit from the change. Mm. But those who are going to lose in transformative change will fight to the death to maintain status quo. Mm. So when you're trying to disrupt and create transformative change or be an entrepreneur, right. you're, going to be, you're going to feel alone because you're going to have a lot of people who are in power who are going to want to maintain that power. So you have to be a revolutionary. Mm. Okay. Take no prisoners. Well, (laughs) you have to then be okay, but knowing that your principles, and this is why that experience, you've got to create an experience that gets people sparked up. So imagine, for example, the first batter in the World Series hitting a home run. Right. How does that fire up, you know, the fan base? Just imagine scoring every single inning, the first right. three innings. I mean, just hypothetically, you know, how did that fire up the Atlanta fan base, right? It's energizing. 
Jorge yeah. Soler, Soler Power, as they yeah. say. First, as we heard a thousand times on the telecast, first player in, I think, uh, World Series history, I think. Yes. To hit, to hit a home run in the first at bat, th- third pitch of the game. Yes. And, and it, to your point, you know, the Braves won that first game. And, yes. and clearly, when you, when you start winning, it's addictive, it's energizing, it's confidence building. And who it knows? It gives you hope. It gives you hope. And I think as a leader in an entrepreneurial venture, you got to get a spark. And one of the things I always tell people is make your first client or your first customer your story. Mm. Okay. So that because it gives you hope, but you tell a story. But if it takes too long, that's why we did those sparks. You know, we had 100 days of an, an experience. Because if it takes six months or a year, people start giving up on it. If you're starting to get results in the first week or two, like, whoa, this is different. Yeah, you get some believers. Yes. So what you're doing is basically you're winning their hearts and their minds. Okay. But if it's the typical, let's keep it safe, let's not rub any and so forth. Well, guess what? You're not going to get much traction. Right. No buy-in. You can get more skeptics. Oh, yeah, it becomes just like everything else. They become cynical. It's like, oh, yeah, that's just like the other software package you put in place, or that's the other supply chain initiative we did. Right. So look for look for those critical quick wins, even if they're not big wins. They're they're momentum builders. Uh, well, I think, I think the other piece of that here, so I'm going to add to that. What the mistake that's made on those quick wins is they only focus on the low-hanging fruit. Okay, so what I say is create a spark that also addresses the high-hanging fruit. Because what happens is if we keep going after the low-hanging fruit over and over and over again, everybody's like, yes, it's going to be the same thing as the other one. We're not addressing you know, the bully on the, in the organization. Right. We're not addressing that one supplier who doesn't reliable, or we're not addressing the fact that our you know, scheduling department doesn't do this, or the fact that we don't invest in the equipment. So if you don't address those high-hanging fruit that are hard to solve, then you're telling people is we're just going to do more of the same thing. Right. Pick a little bit, you know, do a Pareto analysis, find out where there's money, but we're not going to really be any different. So I think that's the piece that, you know, excited me and excited some of the folks that, that work with us is we wanted to pick that high hanging fruit quickly. So right. it's not a, it's not a compromise between, you know, low hanging and speed. It was both. Mm. And that's just like this phone here. So yes, you know, <laughs> this phone here, it doesn't. It's and not or. Right. You mentioned Pareto, one of our favorite uh, historical characters around here, Vilfredo yes. Pareto. All right. So listen, we'll have to, we're out of time here. You'll have to Google if you're new to the Pareto principle and Vilfredo Pareto, Google it. Uh, fascinating story there. Okay. So Ray, I want to, as we start to close down and right before I ask you how folks can connect with Ray Atia. Let's talk poker for a second. So you and I both are fans of, of playing poker. I think our favorite game, well, my favorite game was Texas Hold'em, right? Which was spurred on by the, you know, the ESPN. Chris Moneymaker Money winning the uh, 2003. Right. There's a poker. Right. Really fun, really fun game, especially you get your buddies together and play nickel dime quarter. Uh, Hold'em, it can be a really fun game. Is that still your favorite game when it comes to poker? So my favorite game is Pot Limit Omaha. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, so and, and you've won. Haven't you won a bracelet or two at the World Series of Poker? Playing? I've not won a bracelet. No, I, I don't play enough at the World Series of Poker. But I have cashed at the World Series main event. I have cashed at other uh, World Series, and I have won tournaments. 
And you can look me up, uh, Ray Atia Poker, uh, Henson Mob. I think uh, it's over a quarter of a million, close to 300,000 or so. Wow. Uh, and it doesn't capture everything. Um, but <laughs> Hot Limit Omaha is uh, a much more difficult game. And it's a lot less about bluffing. It's more about math and making good decisions. And pot limit, as opposed to no limit, is you can only bet the size of the pot. Right. So right. it's a much more, um, you know, it's a different game. But the part that I love about it is Texas Hold'em players like yourself will say, well, it's still poker. And they'll come and try to play with the same tools, but realize the rules are all different. So we would yes. love, Scott, for you to come join us at our next pot limit <laughs> Omaha game. I'll, I'll bring all my quarters and, and dimes, Ray, <laughs> just for you. Um, all right. So one final question is calculated bets. I think we've talked about poker numerous times. One of the universal uh, transfers that that's uh, relevant to the business world is that calculated risk, calculated bets, you know, what have you in a nutshell, speak to why that's so important, whether you're a poker player or not. So in life, we're making decisions with imperfect information and in poker, if you keep folding every hand until you are perfect, you're going to blind yourself out and lose money. So if you don't make any bets at all, then you're going to lose. Now, the key there in poker is it's not about the cards you have. It's about making good decisions. So I try to convince my wife that I'm not gambling. But when I'm playing poker, I'm playing against other players that are in the same game and who amongst us makes a better decision, unlike roulette or blackjack where I'm playing against the house or, you know, craps where I'm rolling dice. That's right. pure luck. There is a little bit of skill in uh, blackjack, but the other ones are luck. Whereas poker is just like starting a business. A, should I even play this game? Okay. So should Scott play pot limit over? And if he does, should he bring, bring $10,000 with them or should we bring $10 with them? So when I started this company with Upside, I made bets and I was giving Kevin a little bit of money here. Here's some money, go do some market research. Right. Here's some more money, go build a prototype. Here's some more money, go and you know, get a facility. So I can make bets without having to go all in. There's times where I fold, okay? I've started you know, 20 some odd companies. Some of them have folded. Wow. Okay, because I'm like, you know what? I tested it. And this hand is junk. If I got pocket kings and the flop comes ace, you know, seven, five, and there's three other players in there, the chances of one of not having an ace is, so I get a fold. The mistake people make, and they do this when it comes to people, they, they don't fold them, okay? So you have to know, so when my biggest wins in poker have come from is knowing how to fold properly, knowing how to say no, right. okay? So one of the diseases I used to have is I would say yes to everything right. and work my butt into it. Then I realized, you know what? Back to Pareto. If I'm much more calculated, you know, like right now, I'm looking for what my next bet is. Right. But I'm not ready to do that. You know, just sold, you know, upside back uh, six months ago. You know, let me take six months or so before I even start investigating and then let me take another year or so. So with poker and with business, you're making bets. Right. We made bets, for example, of building inventory because we were in the uh, sometimes, you know, event business, hurricanes. Right. Or so tornadoes, they would need temporary buildings. They would need ramps. 
So we were in the business of being prepared for that. Okay. So I was comfortable making that bet because I always knew that I could sell those to other people. We designed it to make it modular. Now, I'm not going to build a custom one. That's not a bet I'm going to make. So I think if you look at it as bets, that when you hire somebody, you're making a bet. You know, Definity went to Atlanta. We made a bet. Okay. You know, I acquired a technology company. I made a bet. One of the best bets I made was uh, acquiring Mo, the e-commerce business, because one third of our business for this came from that. So back to great people. But that was a bet. And so the question is, is should I make it? How big of a bet do I want to make? And is this the right time to make that bet? Love that. Okay. Universal advice. As much as I hate to do it, Ray, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, there's so much more that you bring to the table, that you speak on, that you consult on, that you advise on, and we'll have to get to chapter two soon. So how can folks, Ray, even though you're you're taking some time, unplugging a bit and, and well-deserved there, but how can folks connect with you if they want to bring you in and have you speak to them or you name it? Good question on the speaking. I, I think the way to connect with me is probably LinkedIn. You know, I've been posting a lot on LinkedIn uh, lately. Uh, you can track my volunteer work that I'm doing, which is rescuing uh, food that's going to go bad and getting into people who need it. But LinkedIn would probably be the best way to do so. Uh, I'm setting up my website, rayatia.com or runimprovegrow.com. I think there's going to be places on there to uh, connect with my speaking team, but I'm- LinkedIn's the best. LinkedIn is the best way to kind of follow me, track with me. I also have a Twitter account, but I don't update that that often, but LinkedIn is the best way to connect. And then obviously the Rayatia or runimprovegrow.com is probably the best one. Wonderful. And we'll include that critical information. So folks, listeners, you're one click away, just go to the episode page and we'll get you connected with Ray. But Ray Atia, the powerhouse, it is so cool to have you back and reconnect a bit, share some stuff that of course was not new to me, but sharing a lot of stuff that was new to me. But as always, the same old Ray Atia. And I mean that very, as a compliment, Ray, that is a big compliment. Well, Scott, you are amazing of inviting me. Thank you. But also just seeing your entrepreneur ventures over the last many years, you know, selling your other business, uh, seeing you start that up and again, using that experience for the next one. And for me, again, all my other experiences have, you know, become upside. So I think that's just phenomenal, Scott, just seeing you and your team grow, um, enjoy your time with them. And again, make this a very magical experience for your team. So thank you for having me. You bet. And we'll have you back. Uh, we've been talking with Ray Atia, the one and only. Make sure you connect with him on LinkedIn and elsewhere. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Ray. And hey, to our listeners, hope you enjoyed this conversation, this unique conversation as much as I have. It's a blast to reconnect with Ray and hear all the things that's transpired, that's transpired since the last time we were together and then some. And really, it's the, the next chapter is unfolding. So hopefully you enjoyed a lot of his expertise and observations he shared. Hey folks, check us out. Supply chain now, wherever you get your podcast from subscribe. So you don't miss conversations like this one. And with all that said, Hey, most importantly, do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. Be like Ray Atia and the world will be a lot better place. And we'll see you next time right back here at supply chain. Now. Thanks everybody. Thanks for being a part of our supply chain. Now community. 
Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.